It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week, we're doing two Tom Hanks films. He knows you're alone. And the burbs. Run, Forrest, run. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Sorry about the delay. I was, like, finishing my taxes, and it was doing that thing where it, like, makes you click through a thousand screens before it goes through. It's like, do you want to upgrade? No. Are you sure you don't want to upgrade? Yeah, I'm sure. Are you really, really sure you don't want to upgrade? It's like, no, goddammit. <laughs> Take my shit. Leave me alone. I'm thinking you should probably just upgrade now. It's so expensive. It seems like it would have saved us all a lot of work right now, though. So, wouldn't it cost me anything? I am, I am 100% willing to pay $40 to have my taxes processed, but I'm not paying a fucking penny more than that. An oddly specific number. Well, that's because that's the basic. That's like what they charge to file your state return for some reason. But it it tries to get you to spend like three hundred dollars on filing your taxes for no fucking reason. Like it doesn't add anything. It doesn't do anything. It's like, do you want to pay now or do you want to just pay it with your uh, returns? And you're like, oh, I'll just pay it with my returns. And then you get to the very end, and it's like, it's a hundred dollars to pay it with your returns. You fuck. I like that the software company you're using rubs it in like that. I was going to say, they're very aggressive. Maybe you should find some different software. Maybe. And maybe the fuck you tax software is not for you. How are you doing taxes now anyway? Don't you just, I guess it's taxes due in like May or something? April. April 15th. But if you do it now, you can get your return back now, in which I get money back every year. So I'm on the ball. Huh. It's the advantage. It's the advantage of claiming nothing all year. Like, 
I'm poor and it sucks and they take extra money. But at the end of the year, they have to give me all that extra money back that I gave them for no reason. And then it feels like I'm getting something. It's quite the outlook you have there. It's like a second birthday. It works. It works pretty good that, hey, that that uh, that part of my tax return is going to pay off the rest of the wedding. And then all I got to do is I have to worry about paying for the honeymoon and then I'm good to go for the year. So no more big expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Until Noah okay. gets in a car accident and then he has like a $500,000 hospital bill. Yeah. <laughs> Luck- luckily, I uh, now that I make slightly more money, I just opted to buy the stupidly expensive insurance. So if I got into a horrible car wreck, it would only cost me $3,500. Until your insurance company finds the loophole to not pay. Oh, yeah. 100 fucking percent. <laughs> I like that you're trying to prove Noah wrong and he completely agrees with you. Oh, it's a fucking everything. America is one giant fucking con after another. Every every part of our society is just some con of somebody trying to fucking get over on you for something. It's the worst. I don't get why anybody wants to come here. Uh, I don't think they do anymore. Yeah, we're actually having a real problem with our... Um, immigration and refugee systems being flooded up here by people who were like, we'll go to the state. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to the land of freedom. They put children in cages. They do what? (laughs) Why do they call it the land of freedom? It's kind of like the Greenland or Iceland thing. It's all a trick. Right. (laughs) I appreciate your ruse. It is sort of mean of you guys to, like, put up big statues with speeches on them about how you want everyone to come there. And then when they get there, you throw them in a cage. And you're like, fuck you, you weren't supposed to come. So who then? I mean, it says on the sign. We, we Only literally white had people, a, Doug. Only uh, white people. Yeah, I was going to say, we literally had a politician stand up and say that that poem was not about poor people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it like it. It literally says, "Give me your poor." <laughs> like it's it's like the first fucking line. <laughs> he didn't. They didn't mean it literally. They meant give us your uh, middle class white people, preferably from Nordic countries. Yeah, why can't we get some of those? Some of those some of those words change meaning over time though, so they sound different now. I was gonna say we don't get any of those because as it turns out, they're all really, really happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody we we don't even have like immigrants here from the Nordic countries because they're the only place in the world where they're better off than we are. Right. Uh our government just wholesale just needs to be set on fire. Yeah. Just burn it to the ground and start over again. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, good times. Even even Harrison Ford came out with some uh, <laughs> angry political bullshit, and he's usually a pretty chill, non-political, uh, <laughs> famous person. It's like, look, I'm Han Solo and Indiana Jones. I can't just stand by and let all this happen. And now, what are all those rednecks going to do about that? They're not going to go home and burn Indiana Jones. I don't know, man. That cult is pretty strong. 
they're going to go home and be like, fuck him. I'm, I'm still going to enjoy this movie, though. I'm just going to wait. He's punching Nazis. Fucking liberal. <laughs> it's all right. The other side's not super great either because some major shit was going on. And they were interviewing this lady who voted for Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> who is running. This one was hilarious. He's running on a platform that he is gay and, you know, everybody <laughs> deserves love and everybody. And she found out in the interview that after she voted for him, that he was gay and she wanted to take her vote back. I'm just like, like are you fucking he serious? Was, he was on stage making the speech with his partner. And she's like, they said partner. I thought they meant like they're running as a double ticket. <laughs> <sighs> I keep hoping that meteor is just going to collide right into Earth. <laughs> like, they're about to send Bruce Willis up, but I go, no, no. I think no, no. it's better to just let it happen. <laughs> let's, just, let's, let's just let Bruce Willis try to make one more decent movie. In the- <laughs> Brian's just out there in a Team Meteor t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ben Affleck, no, don't go up. How about instead we it. just put we just put Samuel L. Jackson on top of a very tall building with a microphone and have him try to like shout the meteor into not hitting us, and that would be way more entertaining. Right before we died, I did buy that thing where you could have Samuel L. Jackson talk to you through your Alexa. Nice, not as not as good as advertised, but for some reason I thought it meant like. Oh, basically, it replaces Alexa with Samuel Jackson, which I mean, sold like you know you don't have to like con me into ordering it, but that's not the case. You still have to. I will ask Alexa to have Sam tell you about something. Like, ask Sam about the weather, and then Samuel Jackson tells me about the weather. That's awesome. I've got some crazy sinus congestion going on, and I needed to do some nose spray so you guys don't have to listen to me sniffle every 10 seconds of this whole show do you have a different spray that'll improve your opinion of movies hey it's called cocaine although it just makes me like all movies is that like the sam's club version of cocaine it is the new generic it costs 10 times more than the original (laughs) so the world's on fire the world's horrible yeah uh, about the only person we could turn to is Tom Hanks, though. <laughs> Just say it. If there's anybody who can save us all, it's Tom Hanks. He is so pleasant, isn't he? Hey, man, you don't have to talk me into it. I watched hey. extra Tom Hanks movies this week. I know. I mean, come on, when Ricky, Ricky Gervais was going off the Golden Globes, Tom Hanks was just like, well, it's going down, but at least I know it's not going to be about me. Yeah. You ever heard anybody say anything mean about Tom Hanks before? Like, what would you say? No. He's too, he's too fucking pleasant. <laughs> he's too nice. That son of a bitch. It's a real piece, problem there. Piece of shit smiling and being polite all the time. Appreciating all the stuff he has like an asshole. It's practically Canadian. We don't raise our kids to be bad rappers. Maybe the one blemish. 
Like I forgot that he, kids I forgot like, that he oh. has children that aren't as pleasant as him. The weirdest thing was when Colin Hanks started to get famous, and then he turned out to be a pretty good actor. And I was like, oh, what? I was going to get mad at that guy for riding his dad's coattails, but it seems like he's actually decent at this. <laughs> it seems to be pretty much if you're just raised from a child in a house full of actors doing nothing but acting your entire life, you get pretty good at it. <laughs> should try that with other professions, too. <laughs> right. Unless you're Will Smith's kids. Oh, good lord. Then you just well, you just suck the fucking air out we, of the room. <laughs> we were just trying to discuss more pleasant things, and you gotta bring up the Smith kids? Who would win in the fight, the Smith kids or the Hanks kids? And they got rappers on each side, so who knows? Yeah. You know as long as neither of them raps at the time, I don't care. The, the problem with that scenario is, you want to say the Hanks kids... But it feels racist to say the Hanks kids, even though, <laughs> even though it's really just because you fucking hate the Smith kids. Yeah, it, 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 if you were going to criticize the Hanks family, it would be they're way aggressively white. Just... <laughs> right. Do we have maybe I, there's got to be 10,000 weigh-in grandchildren by this point, right? Maybe we just have a horde of weigh-ins oh, fight the Smiths. I don't even know how many weigh-ins there are. I couldn't keep track of them when there was only a few of them, and now they all grew up and had families. Yeah. You know how we did the Battle of the Network Stars that one time? Yeah. We may have to do a Family Feud edition. <laughs> the Weigh-ins versus the Hanks versus the gonna, Smiths. Start doing episodes of the podcast where we just discuss whose kids would win in a fight? Yeah. Well, yeah, it can't hurt our listenership. <laughs> Speaking of horrible listenership, uh, so we're doing two Tom Hanks movies this time around, uh, specifically, I guess, horror-themed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, why don't we start off with Noah, why don't you tell us about He Knows You're Alone? <laughs> oh, my God. The, the fucking... I'm trying to come up with a synopsis of this movie that isn't three sentences long. <laughs> it, it, it's like there's a guy... Who likes to stab women who just got married, or who are about to get married, or or who are about to get married, married adjacent? Uh, the take, the take, end, end of synopsis. That's the take, entire. That's like it. Take He's Halloween, stabbed. throw in Tom Hanks and uh, wedding gowns, and put it in a blender, and that's basically what you got. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest bit of personality that this movie has is it's in that weird early '80s transitional period of going from like old school 70s style slashers into the more violent and 80s or ish slasher movies does that make sense mm -hmm. like because yeah. you still got that almost giallo style it's not showing a lot in the kills but then you get a cool head in a fish tank scene you know what i mean I do that was, that good, was probably the highlight of the movie yeah yeah i do appreciate a good head in a fish tank scene I forgot that there was a boob in this movie, too. It's weird thinking of the fact that there's a Tom Hanks movie with a titty in it. Well, what's super weird for me is I'm watching this whole movie and I'm thinking, clearly this is a made-for-television movie. It has that feel to it. It's, you know, the violence is kind of scaled back and the I don't just the whole atmosphere of it felt very made-for-TV. And then all uh, of a sudden, this one girl's alone in the house, so... She, We'll just have her be naked for like four minutes in a row, and then her head will get chopped off and thrown in a fish tank. <laughs> she yeah. wasn't even getting married. She was she wasn't even didn't even fit the mo. 
Yeah, completely needless nudity, which made it even better. Yeah, it's it was weird because there was like a, a rather extended like sex scene earlier. Not not I don't know if sex scene's the right term, but yeah. for a sex, sexual scene, and they weren't. There was no nudity in that. That was one of the things that made this feel like a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> when that girl was in the house with her professor, they were like running around all over the place. <laughs> I, I was gonna say before you purchase this movie, big warning: they Michael McDowell the shit out of this movie. You will see Tom Hanks's name splatted across every fucking <laughs> thing involved with this movie, and he is in this movie for three minutes. Yeah, uh, I guess originally in the script he was supposed to be one of the victims. He was gonna get picked off too, but when they started filming his scenes, they decided his character was too likable and they couldn't kill him. <laughs> Okay, it's so all because of Tom Hanks, they're like, we can't kill that, Tom Hanks. That brings us to the rapiness of the movie, though, because <laughs> he's so likable. The guy that's so likable is a jogger who has never met any of the other characters before. But the one girl and him have been kind of smiling at each other whenever they pass on the jogging path. So he lays down across the jogging path to trip her as she runs by, thus forcing her to meet him. <laughs> And halfway through their first date, when she's with, like, her little sister, or whoever that character was, he's yeah, like, I, that's let's not go to. there. He's like, let's not go to the arcade with your little sister. And she's like, all right, what else do you want to do? And he's like, well, lend me a dime so I can call my roommate and tell him to get out of the apartment. <laughs> said, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> you just tripped this girl earlier. Hey, but you <laughs> know what? Sudden, Listen. He's a first-year first psych major, and he wants to get that D wet. <sighs> but see, I think it's smart, because basically that leaves it in her court. Like, what's going to happen? My roommate's not home, and you know it. So then it's basically <laughs> basically making her think it's her idea to go back to his apartment and sleep with him. <laughs> Is that what's going on there? Yeah. Have you ever seen the episode of It's Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia where they discuss the implication? The only episode of It's Always Sunny I've ever seen is the Roddy Piper episode. Okay, well, there's an, there's an episode of that where they talk about how you, you they want to get a boat, so then you take girls out on the boat, and then when you make your move, it's like they're kind of scared to say no. So there's this, because of the implication that something could go wrong if they said no, but you're not actually doing anything wrong. You're, and that sounds like exactly what you're suggesting Tom Hanks was he, doing here. He keeps, he keeps going, where are they going to go? They're on a boat, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what you're you're implying. That's what Tom Hanks was trying to do here was just manipulate her into agreeing to this, <laughs> which which is the most likable character in the movie, and therefore the one they couldn't kill off. <laughs> and uh, I would say, as we've discussed before, light years ahead of anybody else in this movie as far as acting is concerned. I mean, yeah, he wasn't given much to do. No. But, but when he's like prattling off like psychological theories in line to get on the wizard, like he was he was coming off way better than anybody else in this movie. Yeah, I mean, yes, <laughs> there's no <laughs> doubt about that. He just I, it, I wish he'd had a bigger role. Because... I, I, I was going to say, I love the line in that scene where he's rattling it all off and they're like, oh, yeah, how far in are you? And he's like, one oh one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's 
that's the psych major joke and it was a it was a pretty standard joke in the 80s that psych majors were the most annoying people in the world because they would just start quoting psychological theories at you constantly and it, it stopped being a joke because everyone realized it was the truth so uh any favorite kills in this movie i mean i liked the stabbing in the movie theater at the very beginning of the movie there yeah it was pretty nice I feel like Scream 2 was really paying tribute to this movie. Don't <laughs> right? you? Like, I didn't know that. I just, it's weird. Or not, am I saying Scream 2? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, it's weird that they're paying tribute to this movie. And I had no idea. Like, that's a deep cut for them. <laughs> I, uh, the movie started and it starts with that, that old campfire tale about the, Couple making out, and the dude gets out of the car to go see what's yeah. going on, and then yeah, blah blah blah, that whole thing. And I was super excited. I'm like, oh shit, they use that old thing in this movie. And then yeah, it turns out it's just a movie that they're watching, and I'm like, oh, I wanted that I to actually that was, be part of the movie. I thought that was super fun the way they did it, though. I thought that really worked well. Sure, I was I was very impressed by the filmmaking, if nothing else. And they did they didn't do it on purpose, but it's almost like a a non-self-aware self-aware joke where it's like a cliche inside of a cliche inside of a cliche you know what i mean yeah i just think they were trying to add a couple of little things like that to it to make sure that it wasn't exactly like halloween which they had clearly just seen when they wrote the script for this <laughs> like how can we make it slightly different we'll add in a movie theater scene and an amusement park scene there we go uh, i kind of liked the uh the wedding store kill just because just this old dude going to put a wedding dress back and another dude jumps out of a bunch of wedding dresses and just starts <laughs> stabbing him over and over. Yeah, what I liked about that was the fact that the other girl was, like, leaving the store. She's, like, still talking to him, saying goodbye while he's getting stabbed to death. She's like, say hi to your wife for me. I feel like that whole wedding store scene, though, I like, they were trying to make him into a sweet old man that runs a wedding shop, but... I don't know if it was the actor or the director. I'm not sure where to put the blame, but man, he came off as a creepy guy. <laughs> just think of and me he, as your, just think of me as your father. Yeah, like there was something about the delivery of that line specifically when he's like, he's like touching her and she kind of looks down on him, and he was just doing his job. Like there's, <laughs> they made they made a mistake in the filmmaking there. I don't think he was supposed to be a creepy weirdo. <laughs> so like, oh, I get to feel up this young girl. It's gonna be great. I did like the 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 leftover sexism of the of the seventies that was still around at this time when he, he's just like, oh, my wife's gone to stay with her sister because she's sick. I haven't had a good meal in days. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my house is getting messy. <laughs> it's like it's just literally like, why isn't who's going to do the woman's work? <laughs> uh, the nice rapiness that you talked about when her ex boyfriend starts nosing around and he just hops into the dressing room with her while she's in her underwear multiple times yeah and she just she just like oh you i yeah. can't believe you would pop in here and look at me naked like, it's so yeah and this is the funny harmless guy yeah not the complete asshole that's off having his bachelor party and cheating on her yeah of course they did the whole thing where they're like we've got the likable guy that everyone's gonna want her to end up with so we have to make the other guy like a jerk we can't just let him just be a normal dude then we'd have to admit our main character was doing something wrong by flirting with her ex the whole time 
Dude, it's super weird, too, because it's like everybody in this movie is like, don't marry that guy, marry that guy. And she's like still in college. Like, oh, you could just not marry anybody till you turn like 22. Like, you could wait. <laughs> you know? Did, did we lose Noah? Where's Noah at? I'm here. Is he gone? Oh, okay. Noah, did you watch the movie here? I did. Like okay. I said, this, it's not that I dislike this movie or anything. It's just like not, not a lot happens in this movie. <laughs> it, it's, li- it's literally like for people who haven't seen it, it is literally Halloween except the girls, the three main girls are in college, not high school. And the, um, the person with a, a vendetta who's hunting down the killer is a cop and not the doctor. Other than that, it's, it's the same exact plot. Clearly it, Except yeah. the killer doesn't have a cool mask. Instead, it's just a dude with crazy eyes who yeah. who has a really derpy face when he stabs people. <laughs> he looks like he's doing like Sylvester Stallone face when he stabs people. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's trying to do like a Bella Lugosi thing, I think. It's like wide eyes and shit, but it's not working that well. They did steal several shots out from Halloween, though. I thought that was kind of funny. Some, some of the shots where he's like breaking through the door in the final attack scene, and his hands reaching in and trying to grab her. Like you just literally just watched Halloween right before you filmed this. Oh yeah, this this film's actually credited with being the first in the string of knockoff slasher movies from. Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah. Because even some of the like the silly things, like when they're walking up and down the street, I'm like, you're you have to be intentionally trying to make this look like Halloween. This can't be a coincidence. Watching this, walking these like these girls walk up this like a suburban street, it looks just like the shots from Halloween. Yeah, and and for the fact that this is this is a movie that's budget got slashed in half in pre production, and it still came out pretty decent. Oh, really? It doesn't it doesn't show a lack of budget. Yeah, it was made. It was made for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh, really? And I was, yeah, I it was. This movie just went way up. Cause yeah, for... it was. It was supposed to be shot in Texas for half a million, and instead, it ended up getting shot in Staten Island for a quarter million, and it ended up pulling down. I think like four million or something like that box office. So it made it made okay money. Yeah. No, I'm, for a movie of that low a budget, it's actually. I'm pretty impressed what they were able to pull off. Because, I mean, it's not like they're limited locations. They go, they move around a lot. There's a number of characters. None of the actors, like we mentioned, Tom Hanks is way better than everybody else, but none of them are atrociously terrible. The couple of special effects scenes we get are pretty good. With the head in the fish tank being obviously the, the winner. Right. I'm pretty sure that's where the the loss of budget is because I don't know. It feels, it feels like this movie wants to be more violent than it is. Yeah. The, the era it came out in was not a particularly violent era for movies. Like it was before, you know, kind of Friday the 13th ramped things up. Right. Right. So uh, it's hard to tell whether that's just the filmmaking style or whether they were forced to avoid those, the more gory stuff. Yeah, I noticed the sort of score was very uh, Halloween as well. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was getting ready to say 1980s. My roommate has a keyboard soundtrack. Pretty much, yeah. But my roommate has a keyboard, and he saw Halloween last night, so that's what's stuck in his head while he's trying to compose this. Can't quite remember the theme, but he's got it pretty close. 
Yes. I was joking around with Char about that because there's like a scene that it has that real stereotypical like you know type of thing and I started doing that she's like what are you doing I was like I'm doing the soundtrack to every 80s slasher movie I have a keyboard yeah it was it's weird how close it got to being Halloween's theme without actually getting into that territory where you can get sued um, I would say overall, I'm not like in love with the movie, but uh, it is, I think, an interesting sort of representation of what was about to happen in slasher horror. Right. I, I would say it's not it's not a great horror movie, but it's a perfectly good like popcorn, you know, just date night horror movie or something like that. You know what I mean? I agree with that, and I think it probably has an appeal to a non-horror audience as well. Like, if you're interested in more like crime dramas, it kind of works on that level. I feel like if I had so a bunch of friends over watching it, it would be fantastic because we would just make fun of the professor and that girl running around his house, and then her knee him right in the balls, taking off running. It's like, oh Jesus. He, he, he gets so angry at her because she doesn't want to have sex on a table. And she's like, it's hard. Can't we just go somewhere where there's like a soft bed? We have a whole house. And he's so mad about it. <laughs> I was going to say, the funniest thing is you start off in that scene being like, oh, man, this is gross. That dude's such an asshole. I fucking hate this. And then as it drags on, you're like, well, he's an asshole, but she's kind of being a bitch about this whole thing. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, because we already had the scene earlier, too, where she, like, kind of threatened to expose the whole thing to his wife. And you're like, I, not that a professor should be sleeping with his students. She, he shouldn't be doing that. But if you're the other one, you shouldn't be trying to, like, hold it over his head either. Like, you're both pieces of garbage. <laughs> I don't like either of these people. Did, did, did we mention that that guy, the professor, that that is young James, uh, J- what the fuck is his last name? Rebhorn? Is that his name? I refer to him as that guy. Oh, look at yeah, that he's, guy. He's a recognizable face. I don't have any idea what I recognize yeah. him from. Uh, he is he is great-haired, uh, bald, irritating politician, politician's assistant, and or teacher guy. You know, the big thing I remember him from is uh, Independence Day when uh, they're on the when they're on Air Force One and. Yeah, and uh, Bill Pullman's like, but we've never captured any aliens, and he speaks up, going, "That's not entirely true." Yeah, that, that's him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the uh, the detective uh, is uh, God damn it, Breakfast Club principal. Breakfast, yeah, 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 Bre- yeah. I don't know his name. I only know him Gleason? as Breakfast Club. Paul Paul Gleason is that his name? I sure. So yeah, he's the like level headed detective that's trying to keep everybody calm. <laughs> I know he's not yelling at people, telling him he's got him for two months doing the horns thing. Yeah. Like, that'd be like his signature. He just do it and everything. I'll tell you what. I've not seen that guy in a ton of movies, but he's always had gray hair. Was he born with gray hair? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I think this movie is probably, probably as dark as it ever got. It's like Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd looked like an old man in his twenties. Right? He just stayed that way. <laughs> I always thought he was it's ancient like, in Back to the Future, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, the dude like is the same age forever. 
He doesn't look much worse now. He could technically a- yeah. aged well. You know, <laughs> didn't get a lot worse from 25 to 75. Just, you know, started out looking pretty rough. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do, do we have anything else to say about he knows you're alone? It's not a whole lot to really dive into, but... Yeah, no, that's I think... pretty much it. It's a good middle-of-the-road horror movie, I think. Yeah, it's, you know... It's a good Halloween ripoff. Um, I, I I have to say I had fun watching it, but I'm a sucker for slasher movies, so... Yeah, me too. You know, in, in that world, it's very passable. I'm yeah. glad I finally saw it, because it's been on my watch list for a long time, and I don't regret watching it at all. Yeah, I, it could it could definitely be improved by one of two things: either spending a little bit more time developing the killer so that you have some kind of, I don't know, reaction to him besides, oh, it's that guy again. Yeah, there's there's old crazy eyes. He's gonna stab somebody, uh, or more interesting kills. Because I mean, eight people die, and there's really only two kills that are memorable. Well. The girl gets her head cut off and thrown in a fish tank is pretty memorable. That's one. The, the opening scene was pretty memorable with getting stabbed in the movie theater. Yeah, that's the other one. We've already talked about the guy in the bridal shop. That was fun. I mean, I said he just gets stabbed. Everybody just gets stabbed. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's... You gotta give me a little bit more than that. I'm Listen, I'm a child of 80s horror movies. I need some over-the-top stabbages. Yeah, if this movie had come out in 83 and Tom Savini had been involved in the special effects, I think we'd all like it a lot more. But it came out in 1980 and they were doing apparently working on a low budget, so... I, it, it, was, it was very acceptable. Like, if you should, look at, like, the director... Should be on the poster. He knows you're alone. Very acceptable. Yeah. Like if if you look at the director's IMDb, it's like shortly after he made this movie, he just became a TV director, and he's still a TV director to this day. And it's like, yeah, that seems right to me. Like, <laughs> hmm. I forgot that one of the characters was even named Nancy. Like they're yeah, really, I really even think really, I realized one of them was named Nancy. They really leaned right into. Oh well. Uh, well, this would have been four years before Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we followed that up with something that has a lot more Tom Hanks in it. Yep. Um, so, Doug, why don't you tell us about The Burbs? Uh, the Burbs is a brilliant Joe Dante movie uh, about... <laughs> what the fuck? You want a plot description of The Burbs? <laughs> it's, there's way too many bored people in the suburbs, and they become convinced that the... Uh, Occupants of one rundown house in the neighborhood are some sort of killers. They essentially essentially spend the whole movie trying to prove that's the case, come up with zero evidence, and just as they're about to be like arrested for everything they've done, it turns out they were right. But then it's just a coincidence that they were right. <laughs> and Corey Feldman plays the point of view character who's just the asshole teenager sitting back watching this and loving it. <laughs> I mean, that's the plot description. If you want to get into a lot more detail, you can, but... <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally like a, a cartoon version of... Not quite cartoon, but certainly hyper-realistic version of life in the suburbs where everybody's getting angry every day if the neighbor's dog shit on their lawn. And 
dads are taking a week off work just to sit around the house and listen to the ball game on the radio and it's like but then they have to interject that one weird family and nobody's content with it the random neighbor that just comes over and like goes through your fridge and takes your shit yeah so i read that uh tom hanks and that guy did not get along very well while they were filming oh really i'm sure it was that guy's fault couldn't have been tom hanks had to be but apparently it said that uh Tom Hanks, of course, pure professional, did everything that was asked of him. Yeah. And this movie really is like, it's built for Tom Hanks to shine because he gets to, even though it's like got all the horror elements and everything, he gets to be that 80s Tom Hanks comedy guy that he was so good at being at the time. And they just, yeah. they just, they're just like, just, just do your thing, man. Just be you. Just do all your over the top facial expressions and your, like, when you, there's probably three or four different times where he just snaps <laughs> and every single time it's hilarious he's, the one when the guy comes over to him and he's like just laying there in his in his like lounge chair outside he's like i'm just, I'm just trying to take a nap I'm just, I'm just laying here with my eyes shut just trying to take a nap on my holiday <laughs> just losing his mind and it's hilarious i think i like the one where uh they're him and the other dude are standing outside and the kid from uh children of the corn comes out of the yeah. house and uh checks the mail and, and that guy's just trying to egg him on to go say hi to him the whole time <laughs> he's like come on how's your chance you should go you should go over there oh he's going back inside well nope you missed that opportunity way to screw that up you should you should probably just go over there and knock on the door and eventually tom hanks is like that's it come on come on let's go both of us we're gonna go right now Starts just shoving him down the sidewalk. <laughs> the thing is, watching this, like, I think, like, I remember seeing this as a kid and thinking, like, that that was a cartoonish portrayal of adults. But now, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that would totally happen in my neighborhood if there was some creepy people that lived down the street. <laughs> my neighbors would totally come to me and be like, have you seen those guys? Do you know what they're up to? <laughs> I, I think while watching, rewatching this movie for the 500th time or whatever it is that this was. Uh, I realized that young Tom Hanks and Will Ferrell have <laughs> a lot in common with their like performance style, that weird exasperated tantrumy delivery that they do. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. That is that is a comparison I never would have thought to make, but now that you pointed it out, I can't unsee it. Yeah, well, it was weird because I was I just got done reading an article where somebody was throwing a bitch fit talking about how much they hate Will Ferrell. And they're like, all he does is scream and does all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? That's exactly what Tom Hanks used to do. Like Tom Hanks, this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. The difference is Tom Hanks was able to do so much more eventually, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that Will Ferrell is Tom Hanks level actor. No, you're not saying that? You don't want to go on the record with that position? I, I would prefer not to. <laughs> uh, we should point out Tom Hanks' wife, played by Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Which was a lot of fun. I was so happy to see her like in a non-Star Wars role where she just kind of got to be herself, which was great. Yeah, she plays the the typical like suburban housewife who's just kind of constantly nagging the husband. I enjoyed I'll it quite a bit. I'll tell you what, middle-aged Carrie Fisher, kind of mom hot. She's weird yeah. mom hot. 
I, I have no objections to that statement. <laughs> Doug and Noah agree on something. <laughs> uh, I will say that upon this watch, I think I've come to the conclusion that there are actually two things in this movie that I don't like. And I used to oh. think that it was uh, an indestructible, like, you know, one of those movies that you're like, no, everything about this is awesome. Two things. First, the camera gags. There's two of them in the movie, and they just completely do not fit with the rest of the fucking movie, and I have no idea where they're there. The scene where they're screaming and they do the weird quick zoom. Mm. That's weird. Like, that does not belong in this movie. Uh, and the one where it's doing the slow zoom in on the eyes on everybody, which I still yeah. think is funny. It just doesn't fit in the movie. And the fact that the very last thing they do is they do the dog and they zoom in on the dog's eyes, <laughs> which, once again, really funny, but it doesn't fit in this movie. It like... If the whole movie was weird camera angles and stylized like that, it would make sense. But doing two random camera gags is weird. Oh, that's that's pretty nitpicky. It didn't bother me. Well, that is nitpicky. Yeah. <laughs> I, I admit that 100%. Like I said, I've watched this movie 500 times, I think. At a certain point, you start to dissect it a little bit more than you should. Yeah. Uh, Which I read on yeah. trivia, uh, that dog... Same dog from uh, Silence of the Lambs. No shit. Yeah. Yep. It's really cool. That shows that the dog has actually quite a bit of range as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Suspense thriller and horror comedy. Yeah. Those are my two go-tos. <laughs> yep. And then I was going to say, and the other thing I've decided that I kind of don't like in this movie is at the end, uh, so after they we're just gonna I mean I'm assuming we can spoil this movie if you haven't oh, seen yeah. this movie yeah, no, what I, the yeah. fuck um, after they blow up the Kopex house <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks delivers that great speech of you know we're the fucking crazy ones we're all the monsters we just destroyed our neighbor's house just because they're different like <laughs> yep. and all that but then it turns out that the Kopex are the monsters in the neighborhood. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been a way better ending if after that speech it turned out like uh, Ron or uh, what's the other guy's name? Walter, the old guy that they were worried about the entire time, that they were the serial killer, that somehow they had a bunch of bones. <laughs> Instead of it being like, no, the weirdos really are the weirdos and dangerous. Yeah, but I think this movie is trying to avoid teaching us any lessons. That's not the goal here. The uh, the other funny thing I read is that scene where Tom Hanks is doing like the big monologue. Yeah. The part at the end where he just gets pissed and picks up the gurney and throws it yeah. into the ambulance and lays on it. Completely improv. Yeah. It's <laughs> probably my favorite scene in the movie and it's completely improv. But he's just like, I'm just, I'm sick. I need to go to the hospital. And he lays down and then nothing happens for just, it's just that second. It's the perfect amount of time that he lays still. It's like not enough that you should be getting up again, but a little too long. Somebody should have come over by now. That's <laughs> just nails it. He throws that gurney in there and climbs in the ambulance. <laughs> Carrie Fisher's there like, okay, so I'll just ask what hospital they're bringing you to and I'll meet you down there. Well, <laughs> like, the fact that he's I, like there too and he just goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, this movie's fantastic. 
What about when Corey Feldman's character starts having, like, realizes shit's about to go down, so he has a, arranges a party, <laughs> and has all his friends come over, and when, when Bruce Dern tells him that one of the kids is annoying, Corey Feldman kicks him out of the party. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey, you heard a man, get the hell out of here. <laughs> you not this up for me. <laughs> uh, I think I think the most – the fucked up thing is – so is is over the top of this movie is that I find only one thing in the entire movie to be so unrealistic. It's almost unforgivable that their dog digs up a human femur from out from underneath the fence <laughs> and they don't like go to the police after their dog brings them a human femur. Like, <laughs> but like it's we... clearly a human bone. I don't know if we're um, – I don't know if it's always obvious what bones are though to people. They have a whole discussion about it being a human femur. Yeah, but the, it, the only person who says it's a human femur is that idiot character that steals everybody's food all the time. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, would it be Not fair sure. to say? Would it be fair to say this is Corey Feldman's last great movie? Uh, quite possibly. Because I'm trying to think of stuff he did after this that would be considered like, oh, that's so good, but. Nothing I don't think you qualified to comment because Blown Away was after this and when you were supposed to watch it, you didn't. So. <laughs> sure didn't. That's, that's me holding the grudge. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, like I watch this movie and I'm just like, ah, this is why I love Corey Feldman. Yeah. And then like I just think about it and I'm like, how do you become a worse actor the further along in your career you get? I just still don't understand. <laughs> It's super weird. It's like you just like some guys like transition can't transition into the more adult roles, but that wasn't his problem. He just stopped being good at it. Yeah. It's weird. Well, he, and he he's, needs to be on drugs to, to be I'm a good not, actor. I'm not entirely sure he is him anymore because at first I just thought he was slowly starting to look more like Odo from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> But instead, I think maybe he actually has been replaced by some kind of shape-shifting alien that just can't quite get the face right. Well, that makes more sense than it should, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, keeps going too far, Michael Jackson. They can't pull it back. Yeah. Uh, got good old Bruce Dern as the big old military guy. Yep. How great is his performance? Oh, He's so good fantastic. at that, like, over-the-top military when he's up on that one rooftop and he's got the, the big sniper rifle and he's got the big military walkie-talkie and he's in his full gear and then they clip back to him and he's eating animal crackers right out of that little cartoon box <laughs> that you, you'd like have in elementary school when you're selling it to raise money or something it's perfect it nails that character so well i love it <laughs> Uh, then his wife, the whole movie, I'm just like, she sounds so familiar. What, like, what do I know her from? So I looked her up and she does the voice of, uh, Agent Smith's wife on American Dad. If anybody watches American Dad. Okay. Watch her like a lot, but the voice was enough to stick with me. And I'm just like, oh, that makes perfect sense. She's basically the same character in this. That's funny. I've not seen enough American Dad to comment. Nope. Oh, I found it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was after this. Oh, uh, okay. There you go. That's a voice acting role. It is a voice acting role, so. So maybe a technicality. So maybe that's what he should have done is transitioned into voice acting. Mm -hmm. Poor Feldman. 
Yeah, and then I think I think that's the end of it. Then you start looking forward, and he's in things like Meatballs Four. <laughs> Which wasn't he in one of the early Meatballs movies, or was it just Part Four? I can't remember because I feel like he was in like the first Meatballs, and then is in Meatballs Four, but plays a completely different character because it wasn't supposed to be a Meatballs. I hope that's true. <laughs> Which beat more movies? What Meatballs movie was it when like an alien showed up? Was that four? No, I think that's two, two or three. Uh, all right, four. It's he's like a, a uh, he's like a. I don't know. Is it like extreme sports type guy? He does like parasailing or something, and he's going to do some show at the uh, summer camp or something. Yeah, it's Sounds like something I intentionally avoided. <laughs> yeah, that's probably best. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't in the first couple of He's good in the Burbs, though. Oh, he's fantastic in the Burbs. That's why I say, like, <laughs> it's got to be, like, his last great movie before he just kind of went off the deep end. Yeah, I'm still scrolling. There's nothing. <laughs> no. <sighs> shit, shit, shit came apart after Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's why he wasn't in Ninja Turtles 2, because he was in rehab at the time. I did not even realize he was in Toxic Avenger 4. Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot he was in Citizen Toxie. I haven't seen that since theaters. So. <laughs> He's in a movie called Bikini Bandits. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, all right. All Let's right. stop bad-mouthing for Corey but Feldman's later the Burbs, career. The Burbs is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's got a movie coming out that's called Tales from the Dead Zone that he stars in with Brett the Hitman Hart. <laughs> and, yes. And I'm assuming that movie's going to be fucking terrible, but I'm going to watch that for living shit out of that movie. Cause, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Corey Feldman and Brett the Hitman Hart. What the fuck? going to be hard not to watch that. I'm going to try really hard not to, but I think I might screw up and watch it. <laughs> like, but Brett Hart, I have to. He's the national hero. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes, we were talking about Walter, or not Walter, uh, Bruce Stern's character. I don't remember his character's name. Yeah. But his, his like, super uh, uh, military or whatever, and then you got the idiot guy next door, and then this is what Tom Hanks is supposed to be like, okay, you're not dealing with this bullshit anymore. You're supposed to be relaxing. Go relax. And he's, like, sitting up on the balcony, and they're like, hey, hey, come down. Come down, let's go figure it out. And then Carrie Fisher comes out, and she's like, "Nope." And they're all like, "Can can he come out? Can he come out and play?" And she's like, "Nope." And everybody just gets like, "Oh!" Like kicks the ground and just starts walking away. <laughs> I will say this movie proves a point that I've made for years, which is like, yes, there's sexism in Hollywood, but it goes both ways because men are always portrayed as if they're just like oversized children. <laughs> and I'm not even saying it's inaccurate. I'm just saying that's how they're always portrayed in movies. <laughs> and I, did, did you guys, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever picked on, up on this. Was there a weird trend in the 80s in movies to have the weird, overly macho asshole neighbor always having a ridiculously attractive wife that's half naked all the time? Yeah, no, yeah, that's a trend. Yeah, yeah there, was a whole, there was a whole thing of it. It's weird. It's, it's playing off the stereotype. Everybody in this neighborhood is a stereotype, right? And that's the stereotype is the like the the macho military guy with the trophy wife who's really just another one of the useless suburbanites like the rest of them. 
Yeah. Yep. Good movie. Uh, for some reason, you haven't checked it out, and we've ruined it for you. You should still watch it. It's we didn't ruin it for you. It's honestly, it's it's an experience that you just have to have. Mm. I'm so glad we rewatched it because it's been a while for me. And I, I was, as I was getting ready to watch it, I was thinking about the last time I watched it, which was like probably 15 years ago and I remember the watching it and thinking god I gotta start watching this movie more and as I'm watching it this time I'm like god I gotta start watching this movie more I probably haven't watched it since the 90s so yeah it's been forever so I ended up picking up the uh, Shout Factory select blu-ray of it and there's an hour long documentary but I haven't watched it yet oh that's probably a fun documentary if they got interviews with all the right people yeah no no Hanks Sadly, yeah. uh, that's okay. I, know, I know Feldman's in there. Yeah, what about Joe Dante? I think is honestly, I think that's who deserves the yeah. most credit for this movie. No, We've yeah. talked jo- about all the different actors, and they're all great, but it's Joe Dante really recreating that hyper realistic world, like sort of that, like same thing as like Gremlins, where he just creates that small town that is just the stereotypical cartoon version of a small town, and then he has things get all fucked up, and he does it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, he's all over the documentary, so I'm, I'm excited to have a moment to sit down and give it a watch. Yeah, that's uh, like that'd, that'd be fun. A lot of times, I don't like the documentaries that come with movies, but that one thinks it, I think it could be a lot of fun. Uh, interesting thing is they have an alternate ending to the movie on it. Oh, um, which I'm trying to remember. I think the house doesn't get blown up, and they still come home. And Tom Hanks is still in the ambulance. I'm trying to remember how. Maybe it does blow up. I don't know. Um, Tom Hanks is in the ambulance and in the sort of the head of the family. Um, Still comes in like he's going to give him a shot and stuff. And they start wrestling. But then uh, the idiot friend comes because he's going to ask Tom Hanks a question. Comes and opens the door and catches him. And that's like, that's pretty much it. Not nearly as fun as what they ended up with. Yeah, because yeah, what they ended up with is great. So, yeah. well, you got to run the ambulance into somebody's house. That's the best part. Yeah, the best part is it's sense. the idiot's guy's house. Well, yeah. The most terrifying part of the whole movie is uh, who the fuck eats pretzels with sardines? <laughs> yes, yeah. oh. that's not that's not yeah. a, that's a they don't go together. You need a solid cracker for a sardine, or it'll fall through the holes, and you'll get nasty sardine shit all over you. <laughs> Gross. I have, I have no response to any of that. I'm one of the ten people <laughs> in, in my city that enjoy a sardine. Not plain sardines. You got to get it with the hot sauce or the mustard sauce. Oh, God. Just uh, stop. Stop. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. 
If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, who watched what since last time we were together? We, me and the lady friend finished getting all the way through you. Through me? Uh, you. The TV show. Uh, season two is a lot better than season one. Yeah. I think uh, Netflix kind of ratcheted it up a little bit. And I don't, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it that want to see it. But it gets a little crazier. Basically, there's, there's more crazy. <laughs> Which is way more entertaining than dude stalking a woman and getting away with it over and over again. Uh, that might be it. I didn't do shit. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's the end of it. What did you watch, Doug? I know you watched some more Tom Hanks movies. Uh, just one more Tom Hanks movie, uh, but he had a mustache in it, so it kind of counts as two. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I watched, uh, Road to Perdition, which is a Tom Hanks movie that I, yeah. I specifically watched it because I wanted to see him play against part and something else. Um, and I knew he played like a killer in it. That's kind of all I knew. Uh, turns out it's a really, watch for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I tried once when it was new. I had like rented it in like a hotel and then fell asleep because the bed was too comfortable. So I'd seen like the first 10 minutes or something back when it was first released on video. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a really solid movie. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. I saw it in theaters and I've loved it oh, yeah. ever since. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, apparently based on a graphic novel directed by Sam Mendes, like lots of, when you start saying all this stuff, you're like, yeah, I loosely, loosely. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an adaptation of a lone wolf and cub manga. Okay. Yeah. So for people who I haven't mean, seen it, I think there actually is like a Road to Perdition graphic novel. Uh, I don't know if that's based on something. I'm Continue. No, I mean, for people who haven't seen it, it's basically um, Tom Hanks plays a, a hitman or low-level mafia guy who one day his kid follows him out and he ends up uh, witnessing some stuff. So eventually the kid gets taken out and that puts Tom Hanks against the family that he's been working for. Um, I mean, that's your basic plot description, which could be the plot description of an action movie, but it's really more of a drama film. It's just all about him and his kid traveling around. They end up going out of their way to rob banks and steal from their mob friends to try and uh, just, to, I think just basically to piss them off is all they're doing it for. <laughs> and uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it's just a really solid movie, solid cast uh, Paul Newman plays the head of the the mob family that they're working with. It's set in the 30s in Prohibition era, which is, and they it just looks really neat. They do a good job of recapturing the era, but they also I know, there's something just a little bit surrealistic about it. And there's a lot of like scenes where it's all foggy and shit. I don't know. You you said you said you liked it. What what makes it so good? Because I'm having trouble describing it. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think it's just a fun gangster movie back with like original gangsters. 
Yeah. And the fucking cast is to die for, like Tom Hanks, like you said. Yeah. And then the fucking mob boss is played by Paul Newman. And Daniel Craig is sort of the one that's like fucked up and has and like comes to their house and you know causes yeah. a bunch of trouble, which is what makes them go on the run. Yeah. So yeah, I just yeah. I yeah and Jude it. Law plays Jude, Jude yeah. Law plays another another hitman that's called in to take out Tom Hanks, and he's really good in the movie. He plays just this really kind of wacky offbeat character. I really liked him. Um, I thought even the kid was pretty good. Yeah, he was good. There's, there's just a lot of neat stuff in the movie though. Like, I don't know. I guess minor spoiler, but at at one point, like Tom Hanks' character has been kind of seeking permission to kill the guy that killed his family. He doesn't really want to go outside of this sort of mob structure. He wants to, like, he offers to go and render his services to another family in the within the organization, so long as they turn their eye to the fact that he's going to go kill this guy because that guy killed his kid, which you would think most people would be okay with but none of them want to do it um, and he finally finds proof that the Daniel Craig character who he's trying to kill was actually stealing from the mob family so he thinks if he presents that to the Paul Newman character that he'll be able to convince him to like, okay, you'll you'll let me take this guy out now and we can all just move on with our lives and uh, they basically, they're like the Paul Newman character's response is something to the effect of like, I know, but that guy's my blood relative, so you still can't touch him kind of thing. Mm. And it's pretty typical mob movie stuff when you think about it, but because it's Paul Newman and Tom Hanks, the facial expressions and everything in, the, in those moments are just so much better than what you would expect to see. They just The performances really sell that scene as like this hugely disappointing moment, and it leads to the next series of events that are um, like it kind of ramps everything up. Mm-hmm. That's where like Tom Hanks kind of comes to the realization that I'm not going to be able to solve my problems by following the rules, even if they are mob, mob rules, kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Overall, it's like a heartbreaking movie. Like it's just, it is. Like from the start, like you mentioned, the the guy, you know kills Tom Hanks' son and like from there forward it's just like heartbreak after heartbreak from one instance to another so it's just yeah but it's fantastic it's amazing to watch definitely worth it yeah so I'm really glad I finally watched it so um but yeah I didn't watch too much else I did watch uh, Uncut Gems just the Adam Sandler movie that everyone's talking yeah. about. Yeah, was it good? Uh, it's good, but I really don't understand the hype around it. Uh, you know. Sorry, I was reading Noah's uh, message to all of us in the Facebook chat. What'd you say? I said I watched Uncut Gems. Oh, Uncut Gems. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I, I was just uh, I'm, my review of it is it's good. I enjoyed watching it. I don't understand why everyone's acting like it's the best thing ever made. Sure. Um, it's basically, I, like, have you seen it? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I think when we were on our hiatus, maybe. Yeah. I, I didn't get around to reviewing it, but yeah, I saw it in the theater. I thought it was really good. I thought Adam Sandler was really good, but I do Wait. kind of agree that maybe it's not as crazy fantastic as 
people seem to be making out to be. Yeah, like I I like these sort of dark drama films like this where they're kind of just concentrating on this character. Like in this particular case, it's literally a whole movie of he just keeps doing dumb shit. And he, every time you're like, you could get out of a lot of your troubles if you just don't make the next dumb decision. And by the time you're done that sentence, he's made the next dumb decision. <laughs> and it's just, it's constantly like that. And I, that's the kind of thing I can enjoy. And I, they did a good job of it. But it's not, I don't consider it a particularly special movie. There's a lot of movies out there that do this same sort of thing just as well. They just maybe don't have Adam Sandler in them, so they don't get the same attention. Maybe. Did you uh, the same? Did you see the movie the Safety Brothers did before this called Good Time? I don't think so. Uh, it's a movie of Robert Pattinson, and he's really good in it. And yeah, it's sort of the another dark like crime tale, sort of. Yeah. So definitely worth a watch. I love yeah. It. I- and I would definitely see another movie by these directors and stuff. And I think, like, I I don't really have any complaints about Uncut Gems, except for the fact that I don't feel it lived up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even Sandler's performance, like, people are talking like he deserves to be winning Oscars and stuff. And I'm like, he's good. He plays basically the serious version of what he plays in everything else, which is a hard transition to make. And it, it it's an accomplishment for him as an actor. But it's... I don't know what makes this like a, a performance of the year kind of candidate. So yeah. it's a, it was a weird one. It's cause it's like, I, if I'd seen it blind, I think I would have really, I would have liked it more. Mm-hmm. I think with all the hype around it, I was just kind of a little underwhelmed, but I don't, I can't think of a single thing wrong with the movie. I just, yeah, so. I, see that. Yeah, I don't know if anybody has like, wants to tell me why they think this movie's great feel free to write in or whatever um let us know because i i'm curious why everyone i all the reviews i've heard have been pretty like oh my god this is so good you have to see it but they don't get into the why question and i'd, I'd like to know why hmm. and i mean some of it might just be you know i guess if you're a basketball fan this has real basketball players in it and stuff like that that might be getting some people excited but yeah. yeah, I just I kind of liked the the tension of it, the fact that he's yeah. kind of moving all this money around between like four different like entities trying to like cover himself, and just like oh shit, is he gonna make this? Is he gonna make this? How's this gonna happen? Yeah, I will say sort of how it wraps up maybe is not as, uh, as satisfying as I was hoping it was gonna be, but. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't mind the way it ended, but it kind of... I'm not sure to say. Should we kind of maybe spoil it so we can discuss yeah, it? or is it? Yeah, I mean, basically, at the very end, he ends up placing this giant bet, which he wins, which he would become a millionaire, but he's killed because the money he used to place that bet was technically owed to other people. Mm-hmm. Um... And he did some shit to hold them at bay that that really pissed him off. So they just killed him. Yeah. And, um, like I kind of liked that ending. I liked the idea that he's not rewarded for all this behavior that he's done throughout the movie that, you know, just cause he wins the bet does not make him doesn't mean what he was doing was right. I liked that element of it, but it also sort of felt like it, 
like a lot of the other stuff that went on in the movie felt kind of a little more natural and this kind of felt a little like a very movie ending right yeah yeah it was the actual like bet him winning the bet it's kind of like well this is and just like sort of like how they play it out and stuff i was like oh this is kind of dumb but well yeah because when you think about like he's holding those guys at bay by keeping them locked out of his shop there for an entire basketball game. (laughs) Right. And meanwhile, he sent his like mistress off to place this bet for him. And she like flies off in a helicopter and stuff. And you're like, it's all starting to seem a little far fetched, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, if he's locked them in that little security thing and they found out that he won, Seems like it'd be more logical for them to be like, okay, like pull a gun on him and be like, all right, well, we're going to go find your girlfriend. We're going to get all the money you owe us and probably a lot more than that. And then maybe. Yeah, and yeah, they could still kill him. You'd think they would want their money first. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, again, we're getting into nitpicky problems with the movie that I enjoyed and, and liked. Yeah. I just. Yep. No, so. I totally, I totally get it. So. Yeah. Then my my biggest thing is like I I was shocked how much Sandler's character is just the serious version of Billy Madison. Like basically, <laughs> you know, he's just doing the thing he does in every other movie, but he's doing it with a very serious tone. And again, he deserves credit for that. But I don't understand why people are so impressed by the performance. Thank you. I don't know. I've always thought he was a good serious actor, even though a lot of people don't like his serious movies. So uh, why? How many has he done? I mean, like. I really liked Punch Drunk Love and uh, Funny People Spang- to an extent. English wasn't bad. Yeah, Funny People. Funny People, I think he's really good in actually. Um, not not a dead serious role, but I mean, he is kind of playing himself, which is yeah. cheating. But that's fine. He's play. He's more playing the real life version of himself than the movie version of him of him playing himself. Yeah. So yeah, it comes off a little. More authentic, I guess. Yeah, that whole movie I think is better than it gets credit for. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. I haven't watched it in a long time. I need to revisit it at some point. All right. So now that's Adam Sandler corner for the week. <laughs> um, uh, the only other thing I watched, I watched a documentary called 350 Days, uh, which is about the toll that life on the road takes on professional wrestlers. Yeah. When's been on um, my list to watch? That sounds super depressing already. You haven't said anything. <laughs> sounds awful. Oh, yeah. A couple of the guys they interview in it are full on dead. <laughs> but, so I'm like, oh, they must have got that interview earlier. Um, yeah, the movie's not it's not groundbreaking or anything. If you've watched documentaries about pro wrestling before, then I don't think anything that gets said is going to be shocking. But, you know get to see they, they get guys like Bret Hart and superstar Billy Graham and Jimmy Snuka uh, Ted DiBiase all, all these like names are there Paul Orndorff you know so it's kind of neat to hear all the stories right from their mouths and they get them to admit to a lot of shit that you wouldn't think that they would admit to and you know you can see the difference between some guys a lot of them have all the same problems in life divorces and addictions and whatever else and some of them are full on ready to just blame the wrestling industry. And some of them are like, no, that's kind of on me. Like I made those mistakes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
uh, I thought it was kind of a fun watch, mostly just I knew who all those guys were from my childhood, and I liked seeing them on screen again and hearing the stories, but I don't think it provided any insight that the anybody who's going to watch an entire wrestling documentary probably already knows most of the stuff they're going to say. You know, some of them admit to steroid use, and it's like, well, yeah, like wrestlers in the 80s were on steroids? No. <laughs> they're all saying it like it's shocking. It's like, no, nah, I think we all knew that, you know. But yeah, I came kind out of a living fun room. Unless. I came out in the living room the other day, and Amanda had on uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Like it was oh, just, yeah? they had a marathon on, so she just had it up on the TV. So I just sat down and watched a couple episodes, and they were talking about the the Montreal screw job, which has been gone over extensively. But just yeah, yeah. listening to Bret Hart talk and stuff, it was it was interesting to rewatch that again. Yeah, and Bret Hart has a lot to say in this documentary too. He's like, yeah. He just uh, well, he's he lost a few family members. Yeah, he doesn't really get into that. He he briefly touches on the fact that he got kicked in the head so hard it ended his career, mm-hmm. and it's like, goddamn Goldberg. He's still frustrated by it. You can just tell. Yeah. It's and I don't blame him. I mean, they like that's what I think people should expose about WCW is the fact that they put fucking guys that weren't trained well enough in the ring. And all these big name wrestlers ended up getting hurt because these other guys didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They put a metal plate with hinges on it in the middle of the ring. Yeah. No pad or anything over it. Yeah. That's what destroyed British Bulldogs back. And from the sounds of it, I mean, he had drug problems before that, but it seems like that definitely contributed to his, uh, his painkiller addiction. Sure. Yeah, okay. Might not have been just that, but it certainly wouldn't have helped. No. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I see some wrestling thing on that's like some really good match on YouTube, and then I'm like, oh, man, I wish I was still super into wrestling. And then I'm like, no, all of my favorite wrestlers are either crippled, dead, or crippled and dying. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. There, There's nothing else. There's no happy ending for any of them. And I was like... If I was still watching it, I would just have a whole nother wave of people to watch fall apart and die. <laughs> it's true. It's a little bit depressing to say it, but it's like, like what, like the big news that I know about wrestling right now is that Edge made a comeback, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but should he though? <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, did, didn't you leave because the doctors told you you would die if you wrestled again? Pretty much. Yeah, but now he's got his neck bones plated together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that happened before he retired, though. It's I've actually got queued up. There's a, a YouTube video from a doctor that claims to be able to explain how he came back. And I'm like, I'm going to actually sit and listen to this doctor and see if he makes any sense, because mm-hmm. I don't get that one. Well, I mean, I like mean, Dan, Daniel I mean, Bryan no one... came back, too. So, I mean, they're finding ways, I think, to 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 I don't know get them back in the shape they need to be, but the good thing is he's going to be on a super limited schedule. So the uh, sounds like this year he's going to wrestle five matches total. And then over the next three years, like three matches a year like total. So yeah. he's making $3 million a year doing that. So good for him. 
See, the thing the thing I'm nervous about is I'm assuming they're back and then basically the doctors are like, OK, you can do it, but you just can't do this series of moves because those will put a ton of pressure on your neck and you could die. And within two years from now, uh, Vince McMahon is going to go into an office and be like, hey, Edge, I've got a great idea for a drama moment. Uh, this guy's going to just pile drive the shit out of you and everybody's going to freak out because you got a bad neck. <laughs> and yeah. Well, and then he'll throw money. He'll throw money at him until he does it, and then he'll get hurt again, and his career will be over. Well, I mean, his first night back, uh, Randy Orton already smacked him in the head with a chair like three times. So yeah, yeah. In the interest of fairness to Vince McMahon, if you watch a lot of these wrestling documentaries, the behind-the-scenes stuff, he does. I'm not saying he doesn't push his wrestlers in certain ways when you get guys, you know, wrestling eight times a week and not being able to go to home to their families. That's a problem, but he doesn't necessarily push the high risk moves. That's more something that he actually seems to try to steer guys away from. Yeah. The, uh, I will say, uh, they do have, uh, with Noah being afraid people are going to die, uh, a much more stringent, um, I don't want to say healthcare, but just like process in place. So, like, nowadays, if something like Bret Hart getting kicked in the head happened, because it seems like they said most of the damage came from Bret Hart got kicked in the head, got a concussion, and then continued wrestling for, like, another week. Yeah. And that caused, like, irreparable damage to his brain. Yeah, and that's, with concussions, that's always been the thing that Mm. people think because they wake up the next day and they feel better, and they're not puking anymore, that they're better. And they're not. And now they have a, a big system in place to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen. Where if Bret Hart would have got kicked in the head like now, he probably wouldn't be allowed to wrestle for a long time until he was cleared by a doctor. And they have all these concussion tests they have to pass and all this other stuff. Yeah. All, so all this so is there is that, but there is still... There's still lots of problems that need to be fixed of how wrestlers are taken care of. They could just give them health insurance. Blasphemy. That would make them employees, but they're actually independent contractors. I don't know if you knew that. No. (laughs) Totally different. Independent contractors, but they're not allowed to wrestle anywhere else, appear on any other programming, or basically do much of anything without the WWE saying so. Yeah, pretty much. Uh did you watch anything else? Nope, that would be it for me. All right. Well, I went on a tear of movies over the weekend. Uh, first up, I watched Road Games with Stacy Keach, and thankfully, Stacy Keach's mustache. Oh, phew. Uh, so he's a trucker in Australia that ends up picking up a hitchhiker, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. But it turns out there's a killer on the highways that picks up hitchhikers and then kills them. And Stacy Keach ends up in pursuit of one such killer. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Never seen it before. Um, so finally got around to it and, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, Stacy Keach, Stacy Keach being awesome, driving a big rig. He's got his dog with him. Jamie Lee Curtis is almost very inconsequential to the story. Um, she yeah, picks, picks her up and then she gets kidnapped and then she's gone for like most of the movie. It's, I remember thinking it was almost a cameo when I saw this. It's been a while since I saw it, but yeah. it was a, it was funny. 
But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fun if you like a suspense, almost. Uh, I don't want to say duel because that's a lot more uh, um, maybe action packed compared to this movie. But you know, the same sort of cat and mouse, like uh, chasing each other down the highways and stuff. Definitely yeah. worth a watch. I definitely enjoyed it. Did you mentioned it's Australian, right? So people yeah. know to expect that because yeah. those those Australian movies from that era have their own special feel to them that is just different they from sure everything do. else. They do. <laughs> so good though. Um, so after that, I watched a movie called Arizona, a movie with uh, Danny McBride in it, and okay. it takes place. Uh, kind of during the housing crisis. Uh, so there's this uh, sort of... Uh, the fuck do you call those? Not a suburb, but like a subdivision. There's like a big subdivision that's sort of popped up in Arizona. And these uh, real estate people have you know, got people to buy all these houses and now nobody can afford them. And they're getting foreclosed on and subdivision is turning into like a ghost town because nobody can afford to buy them. And it's even to the point that this realtor can't afford to move out of her house because it's eaten, eaten up so much of her money in the process as well. So Danny McBride plays this psycho guy who comes to the real estate office to complain to her boss played in a very, uh, brief cameo by Seth Rogen who, uh, he ends up killing Seth Rogen by accident, throws him over the bow, over the railing on a, like a second floor. So he falls and dies. And she, of course, sees it. So Danny McBride kidnaps her and is trying to figure out what he's going to do. And then uh, all throughout this keeps end up killing people, figuring that that's the best way to covering up the fact that he killed somebody. So it just keeps getting more and more and more. Uh, it's, it's very much like a dark horror comedy. Um, so I mean, it's just kind of funny, but then like, it's still pretty dark as well. I would say it's not entirely successful, but I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. There's some, uh, interesting cat and mouse stuff going on, but unfortunately it's Danny McBride is the bad guy. So sometimes it's a little hard to take seriously to be scared about. But I'd say it's worth a free watch if you get a chance. Okay. Um, I think uh, the director did some, uh, he directed some episodes of Vice Principals and he's bound it down, I think. So. Okay. Yeah. I think he, you know, hey, Danny, I want to do this movie. And Danny's like, okay. And then, you know, it's not super great. Ends up going direct to VOD. But like I said, I've seen worse. Uh, then we caught up with the second Fantastic Beast movie, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, I was never super into the original Harry Potter movies. I saw all of them exactly once, and I think it was mainly because a lot of my friends were into them. And, you know, so yeah. I caught up on them, and then we'd go to the movies and see the new one when it came out. But I was never, like, in love with them, but... Then when the Fantastic Beast came out, I went and saw that and actually really enjoyed it um, because that one is about him, uh, the main character, losing all of these magical creatures and then having to sort of hunt them all down and, you know, recapture them in a very odd Pokemon-esque sort of movie, but it was still just a lot of fun. 
So I was looking forward to the second one, and it was dull as shit. And it bummed me out. So, unfortunately, I was not a big fan. Hopefully, the third one will be a little bit better. I think there was just less less of the fun and more of, like, the you know dark and dreary stuff that kind of happened in some of the Harry Potter movies. So, it was a bummer. Uh, then the last thing I watched is the Black Klansman, the uh, Spike Lee movie. Yeah. yeah, I've heard good things about that. Uh, the movie was good. It was a lot of fun, uh, based on a true story where a black policeman just randomly sees a classified ad for the Ku Klux Klan looking for new members in a newspaper. So he just is bored one day and picks up the phone and calls and ends up like uh, sort of connecting with the guy over the phone. So he wants, you know, the, the KKK guy wants him to come in and start talking to him about joining the clan. And it's like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm black. So he, uh, they sort of enlist uh, the uh, another cop played by Adam Driver to go and portray him in person. So then it becomes about these two guys sort of both trying to be the same person, like him on the phone and then Adam Driver in person, uh, and then trying to just get info on the clan and kind of see what sort of the situation is. Um, uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Uh, the, the weird thing is they kind of have the clan come off as a little buffoonish, which is fine. Like they can't even set up this, uh, bomb properly and shit goes awry as you'll see in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. And so, you know, you sort of enjoy like the cops and stuff, just kind of like laughing at these idiots and then, you know, still trying to figure out what their ultimate goal is and whatever else and so I was having a good time with it and then uh, end of the movie because it happened while they were filming they started they, so at the very end of the movie they play footage from Charlottesville of how like yeah this is all good and fun and everything but like this shit is still going on and then it made me like really upset it made me just think about the movie completely differently so yeah it's definitely worth a watch. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, David Duke, the famous uh, racist politician, and leader of the Ku Klux Klan, coming to town, and that's like a big part of the the story. And so then at the end, yeah, they show the Charlottesville stuff, and I guess I didn't realize it that yeah, David Duke was there, and he was like speaking and doing like a bunch of bullshit at it. So. Yep. Just, just like, oh, fuck. So. It's so weird that the terrible people in the world never go away. Like, yeah. you hear about these controversies. Like, a David Duke is like a clan leader. You'd think he would lose all of his standing in the world when all that came out. And then they're like, no, he's just still around, still causing shit. Yeah. So it's just, like I said, it just left me with this horrible feeling. It's like. Ah, oh, the world's fucking horrible, and they dedicated the movie to the girl that got run over in Charlottesville and stuff. And that's a nice thought. Yeah, yeah, they contacted her family and stuff beforehand to make sure that they were okay with it, and for them showing footage from Charlottesville and stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, you have fun with the sort of buffoonishness, but then they show reality and it's like, oh, shit. So I would say definitely worth a watch. Like you should, if you're remotely interested, you should definitely check it out. Yeah. Just an interesting, interesting time period for them to talk about and uh, kind of play out. They do an awesome job with the uh, time period, the set dressing, set design. Uh, wardrobe and all that stuff like they did an amazing job and I was watching the movie and didn't even like you know really think that much about it like casting wise and then I was looking stuff up afterwards and I didn't even realize the main guy is played by Denzel Washington's son one of his first like big movie roles and I was reading some of the trivia and it turns out that the actual guy always said that he he always wanted Denzel Washington to play him. And then, of course, Denzel Washington got too old. And so then he ended up with Denzel Washington's son, which he was perfectly fine with. That's kind of funny. <sighs> so, yeah, stay for the ox and leave for the uh, feeling horrible about the human race. It's great. Yeah. So oh, he would win in a fight. Denzel Washington's son. <laughs> <laughs> or the Smith kids. Definitely Denzel Washington's son. I hope so. You never know, though. The Smiths might have put their kids in some kind of weird training and spent millions of dollars turning them into ninjas for no reason. <laughs> some, some weird Scientologist Krav Maga shit. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right, for next episode, I decided we were shirking on our... New Year's resolutions, and we need to get back to the gym. So we're going to be talking about Killer Workout and Death Spa. Nice. Nice. Proving what I've always said, working out is not good. No. No, never exercise. That'll be the theme of next week's show. Don't exercise. It'll kill you. Instead, stay home and watch these terrible movies about people who exercise. Yeah, but they might be great movies. I haven't seen either one, so uh, I've seen uh, Death Spa, and I was at some uh, event, and me and Tony were rattling off uh, underappreciated '80s horror movies, and I told people Death Spa. It's not. It's it's not a good movie, but it's actually a great movie. If you know what I mean. Everybody seems that, to know what I was talking about. Is is the spa itself, like, possessed or something in that movie or haunted? Yes, it is. All right. Just wait right. till you see. Death spa. The spa that eats people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I was the only one here that liked deathbed, so. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting uh, possession stuff going on in death spa. All right. Just you wait. Killer workout I've never seen, but uh, it's just see. a bunch of overweight people going to the gym for the first time. <laughs> having heart, heart attacks. attacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's that uh wasn't there like a burger place in like Vegas or something? And you could order like the heart attack burger. Yeah, yeah the sure heart attack cafe. Heart attack cafe, yeah. You had to sign a waiver and then people started to end up actually dying of heart attacks in the place. Yeah, it sounds about right. Do you know the address of the place? Because I'm going to Vegas in like a month and a bit, so. I don't want to die from a heart attack. 
I could it's use even, it. It's even still open. You'd think that they would close a place like that down, but you never know. If you're looking for the best way to dine in Las Vegas, go to the Excalibur for breakfast and do the buffet. It's expensive. It's like 30 bucks, but they stamp your hand and you can eat there all day. So you can come back for lunch and then come back for dinner. Nice. I'm cheap enough to try something like that, you know? <laughs> I, I most certainly did it and it was all right. Heart Attack Grill is on Fremont Street. So okay. head, head over to Fremont Street. Pick you up a giant hamburger that will kill you. I don't want to die. I just want you know that like month off off work when they tell you you got to stay in bed to recover. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Speaking of topic changes, yeah, I don't know how I don't know how I didn't bring this up earlier, but is Sam Raimi going to be directing Marvel Cinematic Universe movies now? There's a like. pretty solid rumor. Oh God, I hope that's true. I've seen reports that he was in talks, and I've seen other reports that say that he has agreed. Yeah. So, I've seen the reports that say he's agreed, but I've not really read them in detail because I just want them to be so true that I don't want to read them and find out they're bullshit. So, yeah. <laughs> the, the weird thing is, I was thinking at first whenever they uh, said that the first director left, I was like, uh, see, they're chickening out on the horror part. And now I'm like, wait, maybe the other guy chickened out on the horror part. <laughs> well, I think bringing in a guy like Sam Raimi, he's proven he can do the horror stuff, but he's also proven he can do the comic book stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to, you bring him in, you have him kind of walk that line a little better than Derrickson might have been capable of doing. Now, the the real question is, does this mean Bruce Campbell's character from the Spider-Man movies will be moved over to the new Marvel Cinematic Universe? I believe, yes. I believe he will. There will it'll be in Sam Raimi's contract that Bruce makes a little pop-up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need him to be that guy, but I was thinking earlier, I was like, who could they bring Bruce Campbell into this world to be that wouldn't drastically affect everything but would be awesome? And the only answer is Demolition Man. D- D-Man so would be the alone? perfect role. No, no, D-Man. Uh, he is the dude who looks like... Hold on, I'll send you a picture of him. You better say he looks like Bruce Campbell or else this whole line of thinking <laughs> is way off. Uh, he looks like uh, a dude with a beard stole Wolverine and Daredevil's suit and sewed them together. Yeah, I don't think Bruce Campbell's going to be a major hero in any of these, but I believe he'll get a no. cameo. Well, but the, the whole point is that D-Man is not a major hero. He's kind of a joke. He always loses. Can we, uh, I don't know. I liked the fan theory that uh, Bruce Campbell was going to play uh, Mysterio in the yeah. original Spider-Man movies. And, I mean, we could use a new Mysterio, so why not just, uh, just bring that chestnut back? Yeah, I don't know. The way they went with Mysterio, I don't think you're going to be able to slip Bruce Campbell into that role. <laughs> but I think you should take over. Have You have to find a way to like edit Stan Lee turning into Bruce Campbell, and now Bruce Campbell shows up in every wow. uh, every movie. And he's just, he, he says the same things, but still does it in the Bruce Campbell voice. Like, hey there, oh, yeah, true believer. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
Should we uh should we discuss Noah's falling in love with the new Saw trailer? I d- not, you guys I'm did want to yell at each other. I just, <laughs> I just think it looks like a good trailer, which I is surprising that. because pretty much every Saw trailer after the first movie was like, oh, okay. I don't know. I honestly, I tried to watch the trailer so I could weigh in on your yeah. guys' debate, and uh, I didn't make it through the trailer. I got distracted. So it couldn't have been that good because <laughs> trailers are like two and a half minutes long. So I should have been able to keep my attention that long. This is was only a minute and a half. I was going to oh, say, yeah. you didn't even make it to Samuel L. Jackson going, you want to play a game, motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I heard that, but I had my head turned by the time it was said. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. So Noah thinks the trailer looks good. I think the trailer looks about as good as every other Saw trailer. And Doug doesn't care. Exactly. So. There's really nothing about this movie that intrigues me. I'm not, like, I'm not, I don't need another Saw movie. I stopped watching Saw movies a long time ago. Every now and again, I think about going back and rewatching the series, but I, I just don't see it happening ever. Like, I think the first movie's very, very good. The first couple of sequels are okay, and after that, I just tapped out. Um, but I like Chris Rock being in horror stuff doesn't appeal to me. I don't understand why that's all of a sudden a thing. See, that's Noah's favorite part of the trailer. I don't. It just doesn't like it. It feels like because Jordan Peele was successful at starting to make horror stuff that now they're just like find another black comedian and make him do it <laughs> like that's not how it works like talent doesn't just come because they fit the same demographic see I don't know I don't know if I, I feed into that because if I understand correctly it sounds like Chris Chris Rock came up with the idea for this a while ago and basically had been told no and I think the fact that uh, Peel was successful. They were like, "Okay, well, maybe we should rethink this." Yeah. In which I don't know if it was a bad idea before. It's a I, bad idea now. Well, see, but I don't think that's true. Once, once again, I think it might be the good side of diversity, where they maybe were recognizing there is a place for black horror, and that maybe black people are underrepresented underrepresented in the genre, which they are. Yeah, but I'm not talking about black people. I'm talking about Chris Rock. You know what I mean? Again, I don't care if they make black horror movies. That's not. That's. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with the idea that it's Chris Rock. Could be worse. Could be Chris Tucker. Okay. Could be Tracy Morgan. <laughs> Tracy Morgan would be awesome. Yeah, that I'm not saying fun. that'd be bad. I'm just saying that would definitely not be, not be a serious horror movie. It'd be like Scary Movie 14 or something. Yeah. Did you guys know, like, there's these movies that showed up on Netflix called, like, A Haunted House, and there's, like, a series of them, and yeah, it's, like, it, some two. of the people from the, from the original Scary Movies are, like, involved, and I'm like, so they just yeah. went back to that well, like, 20 years later? Yeah, it's the Wayans. They had their, uh, their Scary Movie, and then I think they, I don't know if they got, you know, technically got booted off the series, but... I think it just kind of became, we're just going to keep doing these movies, but we're not going to hire you guys back to do them. So then they're like, fuck it. We'll just do the same thing. And then they did the haunted house one and two. Yeah. I did not know those existed and they just kind of showed up on Netflix and 
I'm probably never going to watch them, so it doesn't really matter that they're on Netflix. But I remember chuckling at stuff in the trailer because they were basically making fun of paranormal activity movies. Okay. And it was shit that, like, we always questioned, like, you know, it's the camera of them in the bedroom and shit goes crazy. And then the next shot just cut to Marlon Wayans pulling down the the door on the uh, on the U-Haul truck saying, nope, like we are not sticking around. And they're just driving off with all their shit. <laughs> so, I don't know. I might watch them sometime, but... Yeah, we'll see. I always say things like, I'll never watch that, and then one day I'll just be bored and I'll watch it. And then there'll be a lot of good movies sitting there for me to watch, and I will not watch them. Because I'll be watching a movie that I know is bad. So. Until Noah puts Haunted uh, Haunt House 1 and 2 like on the list, and you're like, God damn it. That, that ain't my kind of shit. That won't be me. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.